Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The federal government is looking at or attempting uh, to lean uh, far out of their jurisdiction, far more than they uh, have in, in months and years gone by. And so that may be Minister Glow's intent. But I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be able to, to change the Constitution to have uh, his intent actually come to realization. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe on this program last weekend, uh, speaking about the federal environment minister, Stephen Gilbo, the tower climber, uh, who will publish policy guidelines dictating the circumstances for the flow of future federal investment to Canadian oil and gas firms. That's what he says. New domestic oil and gas projects will receive federal funding only if the Trudeau government can reconcile them with Canada's climate commitments. So that was what uh, Premier Mo was responding to, and I just hear the irritation growing and growing in the Premier's voice as he joins us and he talks about this uh, current government, which has its sights set on the uh, energy industry and on agriculture, and particularly on uh, the western provinces of Saskatchewan and Alberta. Premier Moe was responding to a global news story which quoted Ken Coates, Professor Ken Coates of Yukon University. And uh, the professor is the author of so many great books. I mean, it's just, I don't know how you find all the time, Ken, to write the the books that you write, but they're they're wonderful. Well, of all the books you've written, let me just step aside completely. Which one do you like best? He wrote a history of the Yukon. That's where I'm from. And that was one of the ones that probably uh, closest to my heart in many ways. Um, but actually, more recently, I've been uh, doing a lot of stuff on post-secondary education and on economic development. And I guess the latter part is what's got me really exercised right now. Um, Canada is not doing a very good job economically, and I'm doing a lot of writing about that about how we can sort of get ourselves, get our act back together and build our prosperity back up to where it used to be. This is what, this is critical to our, uh, to our economic survival. We're in, we're in tough straits. So when, when the federal government uh, behaves the way it does, where it's side squarely on Saskatchewan and Alberta, and the premier of Saskatchewan uh, reacts the way he does, how serious, and this is what people need to understand, how serious is the situation in Western Canada, particularly the Prairie Provinces? How seriously are people taking this? And how fed up are the people in Saskatchewan? How fed up do you believe many of the politicians are with what's going on and what's coming their way from Ottawa? I, I think I think the anger is, is very real and it's very, very deep. You have to realize that as of right now, there's the Liberals have almost no seats in, like, two seats in Manitoba, two in Alberta, one in... Uh, one in um, nothing in Saskatchewan. And in British Columbia, the only seats they have are in the Vancouver and lower mainland, you know, sort of southeast corner, southwest corner of the province. They don't have much support in the in the in the middle, in the center of the of the province at all. Those are NDP and conservative seats. 
Um, and I think the the lack of interest and lack of support for the Trudeau government is very powerful. Um, but I think it's also important, and you and I have talked about this a bit before, that we not make this into sort of a, a, a nice, simple, partisan kind of, you know, if only got rid of Trudeau, everything will be fine. The reality of it is, is that Western Canadians are really frustrated with the fact that the rest of the country doesn't care what happens to them. It's not just what the federal government is doing. It's the fact that the federal government is doing this, and Ontario and Quebec are either complicit, uh, particularly in the, in the case of Quebec, or silent in the case of Ontario. Um, so the people in central Canada aren't speaking up very much, and you're a, a bit of a solitary voice on this, as you well know. Um, and they're not really giving it the attention it deserves. This is this is the kind of stuff that sort of works away at the fabric of a nation. When you start realizing that a government is prepared to sacrifice one very large region, which produces most of our exports, most of our exports are energy exports, and the second sort of area is agriculture. We produce an enormous amount of agricultural produce that the world needs sort of desperately. But we're not getting the support from the government of Canada in those sectors. Uh, the government seems to think these are sort of passe you know, industries of, of yesterday, not the industries of tomorrow. Um, and and you're willing to sacrifice the economic well-being of that region without realizing that you're also sacrificing the energy, or the, the vitality of uh, of the rest of the country. A couple of years ago, when I was doing more work on this in the in the oil sands, um, you know, there were 100,000 Ontario jobs that were every year that were dependent on the oil sands industry. And yet Ontario is silent on, I mean, I'm not mean, talking here about the government of Ontario, but the people of Ontario, but basically look at this and say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is all climate change stuff, and let's do that, without realizing the huge implications. Other nations, the United States, um, Norway, Great Britain, aren't doing the same kinds of things. They, Yes, they're investing in renewable energy, and yes, we should invest in renewable resources as well, but we have to be far more rational and logical about how we're actually going to make this transition. Because this so-called just transition has the potential to be a disaster and to cause a huge economic turmoil that we might not recover from economically for a generation or two. And that's just not part of the conversation. It's all, you know, you're not allowed to say anything uh, negative toward whatever the government chooses to do on climate change. But if the stuff isn't working, um, if not really reducing our our emissions in Canada, or if Canada's emissions reductions are not really going to have any more than a tiny impact on the world as a whole, you really have to wonder why we're doing it. Yeah, you, you asked in that uh, in that story, the global news story that was uh, that ran, why the Trudeau government places entire the entire burden of dealing with climate change on the backs of one part of this country. And you suggested place part of the burden on oil and gas consumption uh, in other parts of Canada. So you can place parts of the burden on oil and gas, but place it on consumption in other parts of Canada, if I understand it correctly. You do. You do. And, and just imagine this. And imagine, you know, you know your, your audience very, very well, and you know the country very well. And imagine the reaction if the government said, instead of, instead of going after the oil-producing part of the country, if the government said, we're actually going to put a 20% uh, tax on all heating fuels. They've actually been doing this through the carbon tax thing. But imagine a, an accelerated major tax on that. Or if they're going to work with the cities and put major taxes on driving cars into the downtown areas like they have in places like London, England, where you get punished and have to pay a very substantial amount of money for driving your car into, into certain kinds of areas. Um, imagine the reaction of all of a sudden the users of energy had to start paying 
for the climate change sort of amelioration sort of element. The way it works now is they'll pay, but they'll pay indirectly. What will happen is that energy will become more expensive as time goes along. And we're going to see, like with the, with the carbon taxes, that it adds into the cost of the food chain. It adds into the cost of groceries. It adds into the cost of transportation. But imagine if they just really stood out and said, we're going to demand that everybody reduce their energy consumption by 30%. And you're going to do that, making the numbers up. But imagine you're doing that in a country that has very, very cold winters mm-hmm. and has increasingly hot summers, particularly in southern Ontario, where you need air conditioning. The people in the rest of the country would be furious. So what happens instead is the government takes the revenue that's coming out of Western Canada and repurposes it into, into transit uh, investments in, in central Canada, in Montreal and Ottawa, Toronto areas and things of that nature. So the people in central Canada get, get help responding to climate change issues and, and transportation costs. The cost of doing that actually falls on in Western Canada, and, and, and it falls in a very imprecise kind of way. It's not as though Saskatoon itself is suffering. Saskatoon's prospering very well right now. But it's a whole series of small towns in northern Alberta and southern Saskatchewan where, you know, the, the, the drillers just pull up their shops and they, they reduce the, sp- the spending and they stop the investment. They're re- cutting back on drilling. These are the jobs that are the lifebloods of hundreds and hundreds of communities. And quite frankly, nobody in the country seems to care about what's happening to these places. And these are good small towns. They've propped up the Keating economy for generations. They've made us a more prosperous nation. They actually fueled much of our economic expansion for the last 40 years. And all of a sudden just say, well, we're going to not do that anymore with a, with a very ill-considered plan. The government, not just this government, the previous governments have not made any other climate plans since the Kyoto Accord. We're not doing very well at actually even even holding ourselves to account in that particular regard. Um, And we're not having much of an impact on the world. The world is not paying attention uh, to Canada much as the government likes to claim it is. And the world is paying a lot more attention to other places than they are to this country. Um, You grew up in Whitehorse, right? I grew up in Whitehorse and I get to go home. It's a, a great, wonderful treat. Yeah, it's a it's it's a terrific way to live. Although I don't know what you guys do in the winter time. C- can't you just drive your little electric cars off to the south? <laughs> That's <laughs> when you hear people talking about electric cars, and you go up to the Yukon where it gets fifty degrees below in the winter time, and there's a hundred kilometers between towns. In many instances, the electric model uh, just doesn't not quite ready yet. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe ten years from now, maybe twenty years from now. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but the uh, demand for electric vehicles has been falling quite a bit. The early adopters and the status-oriented people have purchased their EVs, but I'm not sure that the, everybody else has lined up behind them. And that's with very substantial subsidies. You know, this is not happening happening naturally. It's happening a bit unnaturally. Um, there's an awful lot of reasons why, why uh, you know, gasoline-powered, diesel-powered cars are, and trucks are, are beneficial. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're, just, we're just jumping too fast into all of this. And like you said just before the break, I'm really worried that this is actually going to drive a schism between in the country. That that you know, at some point these these tensions become sort of almost unstoppable. And this one is you know you're taking the very prosperity of of the West, attacking it at its root. Um, the indirect attack on agriculture is actually quite significant as well, and, and that's not not it's not inconsequential in the West, but it's getting almost no notice in the country as a whole. Um, and at some point, you know, I don't want to be apocalyptic about it, but people eventually say enough is enough. And the last time we went down this kind of a path, and ironically, it was with uh, uh, with Justin Trudeau's father. 
Um, you know, Pierre Trudeau managed to alienate the West quite, in quite dramatically and basically eliminated the Liberal Party as a power of any substance in Western Canada. Um, now we're getting that same place again. The last time we got the Reform Party. Um, this time we might get something far nastier. You know, the, the, the anger um, outside of sort of the standard political system where you have conservatives against the liberals and the NDP and whatever else. But there's also a bunch of, of sort of a more fringe parties right now, the Buffalo parties and different kinds of Western separatist parties sort of out there sort of organizing and talking and getting people upset and, 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 and agitating for more action using social media very effectively. And my gracious, the government gives them lots of reasons to sort of get mad. Yeah. Now, may I quote an email that you sent me a few days ago? You bet. And and I and I related to you how I was president of Quebec when René Lévesque gave personality to the Quebec sovereignty issue, and I was there for the election of the first PQ MNAs, and I knew Mr. Lévesque, the Premier Lévesque, and when he was a reporter, I was a kid getting started. I was a teenager, and he was a an established reporter, and he had a great presence in Quebec, and he drove that uh, that sovereignty movement just based on his personality. But, you know, you you talk about the, the, the issues that exist between the East and the West and the lack of support from the East or Central Canada for the West, and, and, and you point to another um, situation that... And let, let me just read your email. Um... Imagine this scenario. The Liberals appoint a Minister of Industry with a mandate to reduce emissions produced by manufacturing and processing. The focus would be on manufacturing and processing plants in Ontario and Quebec. Can you imagine such a thing? That really struck home. It hurts, doesn't it? Well, it certainly got my attention. And it would get the attention of, certainly get the attention of everyone in Ontario and Quebec. By the way, can I have on occasion, I've asked people in this province, I mean, I'm located in Ontario. I've asked people in Ontario for their thoughts and their, uh, their, their sense of Western Canada. And the responses I've had have been very positive and very supportive of Western Canada. That's from the people I've heard from in this, in, in this part of the world. It hasn't always been that way from governments, but, uh, but certainly uh, I, 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 cannot, I can't imagine what, what the response would be in immediately if suddenly the Trudeau government were to say, all right, so we have a Ministry of Industry. The mandate is to reduce emissions produced by manufacturing and processing. Go get them. But, but you know what? That's how Western Canadians feel about what they've done with the resource sector, right? And so, ironically, the federal government is also talking about the ring of fire because they, they admit the critical minerals they get will get in, or may get in northern Ontario will actually feed into the EV, EV industry. So the inconsistency here is quite is quite dramatic, but you know if you had a scenario like that where the, where the minister of industry sort of went after those processing plants and the manufacturing activity, and all these small towns, the St. Thomases of the world, that are just getting used to a multi multi billion dollar you know sort of subsidy for a for a battery plant, all of a sudden see those batteries, those battery plants, and other things sort of closing down, people would be appalled. They'd be you know furious beyond belief. And the, the reality is, is that the, politically, the government can not only afford not to have any much, very much support in Western Canada, they're not, not going to get any, they're not going to get much more, um, but also that attacking Western Canada seems to work, yeah. particularly in yeah. Toronto and Montreal and Ottawa. 
Can, the more they go after the resource economy, the more they are seen as being sort of really good Canadian governments. We'll have to. And that's really that really hurts. We'll have to pick this one up again. I, it's an issue that really deserves and needs to be heard, needs to be talked about. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.